welcome adventurer to the Level Up Board Game Podcast, a show that uses your experiences and opinions to discuss board games and the gaming community. Join the heroes as they conquer perils such as meeples, cards, and miniatures, all in an effort to level up. You're listening to the Level Up Board Game Podcast. Hey, welcome adventurers to episode 95 of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. This is just Patrick. Hey, King Scott here. And dude, we're getting real close. I tell you what, I put out the feelers for uh, other people in media and publishers. Say like, you know, I was saying, oh, I got to message people to pat us on the back to put together our episode 100. Uh, <laughs> they're coming in. And you know, it's cool. I'm hearing for, from some folks that I haven't from uh, for some time. Maddie uh, from Solar 175 from Cohito oh, Ergo yes. Meeple. We did that side quest like, geez, two years ago. Oh, oh so yeah. I got Solar 175 in. The Kickstarter, the box. Oh, nice. In. And you know what? It's it's funny. I was just talking with Brennan and Mike. We had a game day over there. We're playing some Terracotta Army, Wonderlands War. And I was like, you guys want to do a legacy game? Because they've been itching to do a legacy game. And we're like, okay, we could do Risk Legacy. I got a box of that. Uh, mm-hmm. I have my city. But I don't know if Brennan's going right. to love it. So I'm thinking Solar 175 might just – now, it's not true legacy like tear up the components and stuff, but it is an evolving game. I think I might show that to them. I think they'd really get a kick out of it. Uh-huh. I think that could be very, very cool there. I'm anxious to hear what you have to say about it because I know listening to the episode, I wasn't part of it, mm-hmm. but it sounded really cool. And I remember seeing that prototype you had. And it looked gorgeous. So yeah. I'm I'm anxious to hear what you have to say about it. So you had a little time at the shop today. I haven't been there in ages. I, so I tell work, if you're going to give me a day off, which they do because I'm part-time. I get one day off a week. I'm like, try your best to make it Thursdays. Month of May, <laughs> I work every single day. Th- they've been good to me. But May, I work every Thursday. So oh, it's going to be a, a drought uh, for you and me. We're going to have to do some uh, BGA review games here in the in the coming weeks. I know. I know. Yeah, I actually got to the shop today. It was, it was good. Good to get out. I've been kind of in a funk lately and getting some games in. I was slow getting started. Then I was like, ah, now we're hitting the sweet spot. Now it feels mm-hmm. good. So got a few games in and we'll be talking about one of them here. Actually got the physical copy of It's a Wonderful World out and it went to a raging success there. Oh, Everyone great. there loved the game. They were already looking for it on the shelf to see if they could pick up a copy. So <laughs> nice. Boy, I feel like a drug dealer sometimes whenever I do that. Come on, kids. Here, have one. First one's oh, free. Oh, no, no. You're the junkie. I saw what you did. <laughs> I. <laughs> so we get this message this morning. We have the group chat with uh, with all of our co-hosts, uh, the, the contributors and whatnot. So Andrew and uh, what Ryan, Josh, and Hungry Gamer, all part of that group mm-hmm. chat. So we get this random message this morning. Any of you guys play War of the Ring, the card game? It might be my favorite. My favorite new game, says Josh. And uh, what, two hours later, you're holding up a sealed box like, I have no willpower. Okay, okay. I will use a quote from Top Gun. I had the shot. It was available, so I took it. It was there on the shelf. I took it. Crack that baby open yet? Oh, yeah, I did. And For um, a big box, it feels like there's like a deck of cards in there. But I got to tell you something. The insert in it is prime for expansions. Hmm. 
everything in there is, I mean, it really is set up that, yes, there are going to be expansions. I'm hoping that with the sales for it and everything, I hope it goes well because, yeah, there's plenty of room inside that box to add more cards in there. And the nice thing about this is it's from Ares Games, and it's not from Fantasy Flight. So a lot of things I've had with Lord of the Rings has been Fantasy Flight with their LCG that they mm -hmm. had. It's all different artwork. So it's like looking at a, at this through whole new eyes. The Mouth of Sauron, I had to stop and just stare at it because it was like, it blew my mind. It was almost like they took some idea from the movie, but then took from the book and mesh them together to make it just a little bit different. Okay. And let me tell you what, if this thing was in the movie, I'd be having nightmares from what they put on that card. You know, for what it's worth in the extended cut, the mouth of Sauron is in it. Uh, my, oh, I know. Yeah. Okay. So this, this is similar, but different than the one that's in that extended cut. Oh, Cause yeah, that was cool was when worse. he's coming out of the black gate and like talking to them. I was like, why did they cut this? This thing's, this thing's awesome. Well, the one that they have in this game is worse. That's cool. And you know what I would say? So, uh, save that one for me so that we can talk about it together and maybe do the review. But uh, <laughs> Absolutely. We still have to do Frostpunk, buddy. Next time you, oh, you come I over know. here, I haven't actually set it up to learn it yet because I'm like, well, I'm not going to learn it a month before. Like, I don't know when we're going to get to play again. So I, I'm yeah, waiting. Yeah. And I'm like, I'll have it set up and ready for when he comes over. Like, learn it the night before. We're going to do it. Well, I'm still on a bit of a break from work, so that's kind of nice. I will be able to go into my calendar, work things out. We will work a time out, oh, yeah. and definitely that will happen. How about we hold off on some of the upcoming stuff? You know, we normally put that at the beginning. I just want to talk about some of the games we've been playing. We'll push that off to uh, when we're done talking about recent plays. Ch change okay. it up a little bit. It's episode 95. We've run the right. Oh, yeah. Are we going to get it told from our higher up that uh, can't do that? <laughs> Somehow I doubt it. But you know what? I feel like one of our higher ups for this episode is Pandasaurus Games. They sent us District Noir, which I understand that's French and uh, translated to English. It means Noir District. Uh, this is a... <laughs> <laughs> I can't let that one go. As the game by, I'm going to try. Now, she, uh, Shimamura and Nobutake Dojin or Dogen? Yeah, look it up on BGG. Art from Vincent Roche. District Noir. This is, uh, well, I didn't know what to expect, uh, but I, I messaged him. I was like, yeah, no, we'd, we'd love to get in on this. And what do you know? Up comes, in comes one of those like shoebox looking things. And it's, oh, geez, this is like super prototype. Nope. It had like the logo on the top and Pandasaurus on the side. It was like their their own personal like branded shipping box. Open it up. They gave me a card holder thingy do. It looks like a red crown that you put the cards in. They gave me sleeves for the game, a little personal letter, and a copy of District Noir. So we uh, owe it to them to do a glowing review, right? We, we've since played this together a few times. Let's talk about what's going on in this one. First of all, theme. Hoboken, New Jersey, 1954. At the head of the largest criminal organization, powerful leaders vie for territory and support, trying to grow their influence by any means necessary. At the very center of Hoboken lies District Noir, a highly contested area that will make all the difference in gaining control of the city. Let's start here. Uh, the, you know, the, the theme's just not gonna come through. This is a yeah, card yeah, game. Yeah, yeah, let's, let, yeah. Let's just take a step back here. Who really wants control of Hoboken, New Jersey? <laughs> 
Wow. Oh, wow. Ryan, uh, teacher Ryan, where in New Jersey are you from? This, this is going to get interesting. So what's going on in the game? You've got this stack of cards. And the stack of cards, uh, they're numbered five, six, seven, and eight. You've also got three city cards. They just look like this, you know, dark silhouette of a city. You've got a bunch of bonus cards that are either plus or minus one, two, three. And I think there's even a plus four. The pluses are green. The minuses are red. It's really simple. Here's how you play. You take your deck and you shuffle it up. Put it off to the side, and you deal two cards face up to a row. Each player gets six cards in hand. Ah, it's five. <laughs> I had to check the setup. It's five cards. Five cards per player. So you've got a hand of five cards. Two cards are already in the row. And what you're doing is you and the other player are basically playing this game. Uh, I, You know, when I played with Ryan, I was like, dude, it's like a game of chicken. You're playing this game yes. of chicken with that row. So what you want to do, the goal is you want to get all, not all the eights, but at the end of four rounds, whoever has the majority of the fives will get five points. The sixes will get six points. Same with the sevens and the eights. All those green pluses, you'll get that. All those mm-hmm. red minuses, you'll deduct that. Finally, for every set that you have, a five, a six, a seven, and an eight, well, one of each of those four numbers, and they have their own color, you'll get five additional points. So you can score points by collecting a lot of the green cards, or you can go for multiple sets. Uh, I've got two each of five, six, seven, and eight or whatever. So that that's 10 points right there. Or you can say, you know what? I'm going to get the majority in the sevens and the eights. That's going to give me 15, right? That's how you're scoring points in this game. So the way that you play is the deck is off to the left and you've got two cards in the opening row and you're going to alternate starting with the first player. So Scott, if you're first, you're going to play a card from your hand. Now there's mm-hmm. three in the middle. Then I'll play one from mine, and there are four. Scott, you'll play one from your hand, there are five. Basically, you get to, on your turn, either play a new card to the row or take five cards, the most recently played five cards that are in the row. And those those mm-hmm. go into your, like, this is my score pile. I will score these at the end of the game. Once you do that, you can only do it once per round. Okay, so if I have my five-card hand, I will five times have to play a card, and one time I will have to take five from the middle. So what's interesting is, let's suppose that the uh, the game starts, and there's a five and a six, right? And I go first, and I play a seven. Well, Scott, you can't play an eight, a seven. You can't play a green card, so what do you do? You play a red, one of your minuses. I'm going to put a minus two on there, so that on Pat's turn, mm-hmm. he doesn't take it. I go, hmm, well, if I play a card, we're going to be up to a five in the row, And I don't want it to be good because then Scott might take it. I know. I'll just play another six. Now you're up and the decision's yours. Oh, I don't want to take my red card, but I would get two sixes. I would get the five and the seven. So I'm real close to a set majority and six, et cetera, right? Let's suppose that you take it. And then on my turn, I play a card. You play a card. I play a card. Basically, I'm going to eventually have to take five cards, whether it's before or when my hand is empty. Right. And then we empty out our hands if we have any remaining cards, and we move on to round two. All the cards that are in the middle uh, went to our score piles, with the exception of a few, which are still in the row and will be there at the start of round two. You play for four rounds, and whoever has the most points wins. But there's those three city cards, and without them, this game would be a little too simple. What do the city cards do? Basically nothing, unless you get all three. If you get all three you win on the spot. That's what they do. So, Scott, we got a chance to play this. Uh, here's the cool thing about this one, Adventures. It's not out yet. You can't quite get it yet, 
but you can play it on Board Game Arena. And once I found that, I was like, all right, I don't have to learn this. I cracked open this giant one and a half page rule book and I was like, "Mm -mm." (laughs) right on BGA. What do you think, Scott? District Noir. It drives me up the wall. (laughs) Absolutely. No, I think you really nailed it whenever you said this is like a card game of chicken. Uh huh. Uh huh. Because you're just sitting, you're you're sitting there playing the cards. Now, the whole thing with chicken is when do you want to pick up those cards? Mm-hmm. Like whenever you said there could start off with a five and six, and then someone plays a seven, you don't have to wait until there's five cards. I could say, okay, forget it. I'm just going to take those five cards right there. Boom. Well, the four or, or whatever is fewer than. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to take that. Boom. But that is my one take for the game, for that round. That's it. Mm-hmm. Then it's just like, now then you're just putting out all the cards you want to get back in your hand, knowing I have no ability to get back what, to draw back cards back into my hand right. again. So that really gives you a chance there. So it's like, do you really want to take a chance right off the bat, get things and build off of those, or do you want to wait? And then end up getting those minus cards put in your hand. Potentially. It is really a tough game of chicken. Whenever I'm done playing it, I'm just, I don't know if I'm angry, if I'm frustrated, if I am like having a verge of a nervous breakdown. I don't know. But all I know (laughs) is this game gets in my head. There is some neat strategy going on, though, for what is, for what's a very simple game. You know, the first time oh, yeah. I played this, I, I I did read through the rule book. I was like, oh wow, this there's not much game here. And the more and more I'm playing it, the more I'm like, okay, there's actually a lot of game in a three minute session of BJ, dude. Yes, break at work. <laughs> I mean, play that game fifteen times, no problem. Well, ten anyway. Well, so this if, is a two player only game as well. That's true. That's true. If you're holding a hand with like three red cards. Man, you are incentivized to snatch your five early because you know that for the rest of the round, you can drop red card, red card, red card, and your opponent still has to make their pick. They don't know what you're holding in hand. They can see what you have collected from the middle row, but they don't know what you're holding. So like hand of red, it's like, okay, I want to be the first one to take. Hand of green, that's very hard because hand of green is Mm -hmm. like, okay, I want to play this green card down, but then what if he takes it? So I've got to play early. But then what if he just puts a red card on it? Then I'll play another green. But then what if he takes it? Right? Oh, my goodness. There's so much of that back and forth. Game breaker are those city cards. There is nothing quite like. uh, Scott, I was playing this a couple days ago in BGA. I collected one city card in round two. Round three began. And I had like green card, green card, city card, city card, seven. I was like, okay, I need to make him grab the pile first. So he leads with like a green card. I follow with a green card. He plays something. I don't even remember what it was. I follow with a green card. He took the five. I said, oh, perfect. So then on my turn, I went, play a city. He plays a card. Play a city. He plays a card. Collect, instant win. That's the three city cards. That's so cool that you have to play around that, not knowing if they even have it, but the potential is there, makes you have to really think about, I know when's right and when's not right to take, but I can't take too early just in case. Well, and another thing, too, that you didn't mention is that I believe at the beginning, you take out three cards. Mm. So you don't know if one of those three cards is going to be one of those city cards. Yeah. Yeah. So you might end up not having them in the deck. 
So you may be playing with the whole idea that, oh, I we're in the last round here. Okay, it's fine. I got a bunch of uh, minus cards, but I'm going to get that third city card and we're going to win. It's perfect. It'll work out great. And then you find out it's not there. So it's a, that's another tricky thing there you have to maneuver around. So I got to say, you know, we were joking about like, oh, the theme's not there. It's a numbers game a la like, I don't know, no thanks or something. But for what it's worth, that uh, each of the cards, the five, the six, the seven, the eight, they each have like kind of a silhouette with color. Yeah. Like the six is the boxer and he's wearing those mm-hmm. white shorts and you can see the silhouettes of the boxing match at the bottom, right? That's cool. The green cards. Those are all meant to be the alliance cards and the red cards, they're betrayal cards and shows a guy with uh, you know, his hand in cuffs, right? They, for a what we'll say is a themeless game, they really did a good job of capturing a little bit, giving you something. This is the kind of game that most publishers would put out and there'd be cute animals or trees or something stupid, right? Yeah. Which, no, that's, there's nothing stupid about that. It's fine. It's appealing. It's unique. And I think it's it's really cool. I like where they went with it. And I think doing it, having it called District Noir and having the whole idea of the silhouettes, mm-hmm. that does kind of give you the whole feeling of being something shady, something uh, like gangstery. Like, what is it? The eight is kind of like your godfather standing there with a the cigar. I yeah, think. yeah. Yeah, really cool. Really cool job uh, giving you some some good artwork and presentation for this. What's in the box? You get the deck of cards. You get a double-sided poker chip that just basically says who's leading off the round. That's it. So I can't imagine the price is going to be too high in this, and you get a, a pretty good game out of it. Give it a try on BGA sometime. District Noir from Pandasaurus Games. Well, like you said, today I got a chance to uh, head over the shop, and that was the first in quite some time. Mm-hmm. And I brought some games with me. I wasn't sure what I was going to hit. And sitting there once again, hanging out with Tom, and something just kind of got my idea in my head and everything. I'm like, do you have your Power Rangers deck building game with you? He goes, yeah, out in the car. Go get it. So we sat down to play the Power Rangers deck building game. Now, this is from Renegade Games. It was designed by Dan Blanchett and Matt Hyra. And this came out in 2021. Now, this year, there's a bunch of expansions. And Renegade, you know from me talking about it before, also did the G.I. Joe deck building game. And then they also have the Transformers deck building game. Mm -hmm. They didn't just take an easy route with this and slap a different IP on on the same game, each one of these plays completely differently. Yeah, yeah. So you play as either the the heroes, one of the Power Rangers, or one of the uh, villains. So as you play, you have one of those cards in front of you. So you may have, uh, like today I played, I was playing Lord Zed. So I have him sitting in front of me. Mm-hmm. You lay out the grid, as they call it, in front of you. You have a... Um, a little marketplace for you to buy cards to add to your deck. Now, around the outside of your card, you will have different colors. So what you're going to be doing is you're going to be building and customizing your character. So you could add, if you have two grays on the side, you can add equipment because those are gray cards. So you can add equipment 
to your character to make them tougher and better whenever you're fighting. You may be able to add an ally with him in order to fight better. Mm -hmm. You could have a special weapon that was uh, dedicated just to them that you can add on to this. So as you go, you're going to draw your five cards like many deck builders go. You go through and you will get uh, shards, which are basically your cash in order to buy cards to add on to it, mm -hmm. or there is energy. Now then, you have a little tracker for energy and for your health. So you start off with, I believe it is 30 health, and you can go up to 20 energy. You're going to take a look and see what's in the row, what you can buy. Now that you have power, your power will be will allow you to build that up in order to attack your opponent. All right. Now then, you can either attack your opponent directly or very uh, similar to the current Star Wars uh, deck building game, you can attack uh, cards that are in the market in the middle part. All right. So you can take a look here and you see, oh, there's a Red Ranger and a Blue Ranger in there. If you do not do anything against them, they will attack you for one point of damage at the end of the turn. You're looking at things here. I don't have enough to do both. The yellow, the red ranger, well, they're going to give me four energy, and the blue ranger will force them to discard a card if I destroy them. I'm good on energy, so I'm going to attack the blue ranger. Now they have to discard a card. So it's written underneath the card what the bonus is that the person attacking will get for to for attacking that card. Sure, sure. You go through here, you do that, you take a look, you see, I'm going to buy this, add that to your deck, and you move on. Now, going against the rangers, they have a little bit of tougher time, whereas they aren't just getting monsters out there and attacking they have to build their Zord and be able to get all four different parts of it together to build the massive thing. So Tom never got a chance to do that, but we, he whittled me down and he ended up winning. But this was really kind of an enjoyable game. It makes your head think differently than your normal deck building game. I mean, a lot of times you're just deck building, buying this, buying this, do that, do that, blah, that's it, you're done. This one here, adding the energy and building up the energy, you need to keep a track of that because you want to do like a massive amount of damage to somebody. So you're playing, no, it's not time to do it yet. Let's play another hand. I'm almost there. Let's play another hand. And then you finally get to that point, but then they could just wallop you as well, too, because they're building up Lot their energy forth, as well. Sort of tug, tug of war style, yeah. Yes, 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 very much so. A lot of times you look at the Power Rangers TV show, which, oh, man, I, it, that just makes my head just I was going to say, there's no way you're it. a fan of Power Rangers. The only part of Power Rangers I'm a fan of is whenever they transform at the end of it. There's something engineer-wise or something like that, I don't know what you want to call it, that I love to see how things transform, how they make it turn from a dinosaur into a robot. There's something about that I just love. Like, I know I'll have Transformers sitting around on my desk whenever I'm typing or working or something like that, and whenever I get stuck on something, I'll just get one of those out and I'll just fiddle around with it and make it into a car or make it into a robot. It's just one of those things that kind of like, uh, what do I want to say? A palate cleanser for my mind, if you will. Okay. 
It's not the silly, campy TV show. This is actually something that's really kind of neat. You kind of get sucked into the world a little bit with this. I was surprised that I liked it as much as I did. This is a two-player game? It is. Uh, you can play teams, but I think it would really shines just at a two-player shines game. Shines a two, sure thing. Did yeah. they transform at the end of literally every single episode of Power Rangers? Oh, yes. Every At the end of every episode, it was like the last seven minutes or something. They had to transform and kill the giant monster. So they're not really so. that powerful unless they transform. Uh, yeah, I guess so. I, I don't know. I, 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 never, I never watched the backstory. I just got to the end when things blew up. <laughs> Scott, if Renegade made a deck builder and you got to pick the theme, what would it be? Oh man, why would you do something uh-huh. like that? Uh, boy, if I had if I had to do a theme of a deck builder, I got mine. I saw you put this on the list, and I, I knew I was going to ask that question. You want me to go first? Yeah, go ahead. I'm going to answer my own question. My uh, my gut instinct was, well, Ninja Turtles, of course. You've got all the bad guys. You've got vehicles. You've got special weapons. All, I mean, mm-hmm. Ninja Turtles is the layup. But then I thought, no, you know what? Give me never-ending story, the deck builder. Oh, okay. I have no idea why, but it just feels right. Get your rock biter card out. and <laughs> Oh, no. Everybody will have flashbacks when the horse drowns in the swamp. Oh, yes, 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 yes. No one wants to get that one. Um, actually, I do have mine here, and it just popped in whenever you said this, because... Um, Horses drowning it? in swamps, uh, that jarred your memory? Yes, 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 it did. <laughs> IDW, they have the rights for G.I. Joe and Power Rangers and Transformers, I believe, for the comics now. Yeah, yeah. And... Another one that they had, and it's just kind of like it. It's like this could work possibly, but I don't know if there's enough in it. No, actually, I'm going to change it. I was going to say mask with the vehicles that would change, but no, I think Ghostbusters would actually be kind of a cool one. Oh, that would be a cool one. Renegade, get on with it. Yeah, Winston, Peter, uh, uh, Egon, things like that. You can play a different one there. And then with the new ones coming out with the kids, you could add different ones on with that. You charge up their proton packs, things like that. So, yeah, I would say Ghostbusters. Hi, I'm Sarah McLaughlin. I'm reaching out today with a cry for help. Every day, innocent podcast hosts go hours without being the center of attention. My ego. Your five-star rating on iTunes says that you care. I need to be important. Without your support, these nerds will be neglected, beaten, possibly die. I'm so hungry. Please, open your heart. Give that five-star rating on iTunes, or rate them favorably on whatever platform you listen. All right, Scott, I'm going to talk about one that I've talked about before, a game from Richard Keane, published by Ninth Haven Games in 2019, Dinogenics. Mm. is one of several dinosaur park builder games that we had in uh, what, what I've come to kind of think of as the great dinosaur surge in gaming that... <laughs> 
promptly petered out with Dinosaur World. Uh, everywhere you look, there's a new game with the dinosaur theme, but uh, a couple have stood out, namely Dinosaur Island and Dinogenics, often compared, and uh, opinions vary on which is the better of the two. I like Dinogenics, and I want to highlight today because I got it back to the table, and not so long ago, actually it was over summer, we got to play it with the Controlled Chaos expansion. Let's do a quick rundown of Dinogenics, a worker placement game where in each round, players assign their workers to various spaces on this main board to carry out actions. Primarily, you're going to be looking at collecting sets of DNA cards in order to create a dinosaur. The Brontosaurus, for example, can be played if you have four Brontosaurus cards in your hand. You go to the okay. space on the board that lets you turn them in. Then you get this sweet Brontosaurus meeple, like laser cut meeple, <laughs> painted and everything. You get to put it on your park, uh, add it to the park on your player board. Uh, I suppose I, I would call that the main loop of gameplay is collecting DNA cards, cashing them in to put a dinosaur in the park. There's tons okay. of variables at play, though. There's buildings that like asymmetric buildings that you add, hotels, visitors. Uh, there's income to be generated. You need reputation. Turn order is very important in this game. Um, fences to keep the dinosaurs in, rampaging, right? You see your park. Park, in this case, it's your own personal player board with some fields on one side in which you can be putting your dinosaurs and this, like, we'll call it a commercial area off to the right for buildings that you can add. So you place a worker at a space where general market actions take place, and this lets you buy and sell some DNA cards, build fences uh, to pen in the carnivores, or buy a building. And that's actually where a lot of the variability and the asymmetry come into play. Uh, somebody might build a, a bunch of additional hotels so that they can house more visitors, whereas somebody else might buy a building that gives benefits for having a bunch of triceratops in play, that sort of thing. Gameplay is over seven rounds. Each round, you have visitors allotted to the players, which in turn provide extra money and points. At the end of seven rounds, high score wins the game. So what exactly does controlled chaos add to the mix? First, it adds a second stack of DNA cards, right? Which at Ooh. first I was like, man, that is going to be really hard because you need to get matches in your DNA. I don't know if I want to be drawing from two different decks, right? <laughs> but they sprinkled in some wild cards, like DNA that can be used oh, okay. for anything. I think the T-Rex, you need to have three T-Rex cards. You could have two and the wild and you're good. There's also some unique dinosaurs. There's this like Megalodon thing. A couple of the really sweet ones. They add in like water dinosaurs to it. Oh my goodness, I love this game. Uh, it also has a space that straight up lets you get a wild chip to function just like a, a DNA card so that you don't have to keep digging through the deck hoping to finally get that last card to complete, uh, say, you know, your T-Rex set, for example. Mm -hmm. These additions alone are enough to upgrade the base game because one of the primary complaints that folks might have with Dinogenics is it can be frustrating if you've drawn like six extra cards and you still can't get that set of DNA. My Brontosaurus, I need four of them. If I have three in my uh, opening hand, it's an obvious play. Go for Brontosaurus, right? Right, yeah. So I go to the draw cards and you have two different options. Draw two. Or there's another space. Draw three and keep one. Oh, okay. Ooh. And I didn't find it. You know what I mean? It's like mm. that can be frustrating where somebody else in their opening three, they got uh, they, they got a set for Ankylosaurus and they right off the bat, poof, right? But there's more added. A new building market for double-sized buildings is available. What I mean is the buildings are like a tile that you put on your board. They have sure. double size, like it'll cover up two uh -oh. different ones going on in this. Now, they're not needed per se, but it's nice to have more options to further differentiate the players. Then they have a market of specialists. 
which give you either endgame points or triggered abilities. Now, what I mean by triggered abilities is an ability or benefit that's going to happen when something occurs in play. Think like score a point anytime someone else makes a dinosaur, right? That's a that's a trigger. You get these cards by trading in manipulation cards, basically a stack of take that cards that uh, in base game play, they, they can be very profound, very powerful. There's additional cards in the expansion to add to the decks in the base game, uh, but let's go from details of the expansion to what it does for play. Uh, first, the wild DNA option, that's phenomenal. Uh, I didn't find it too tough to get sets of DNA in the base game, but now that there are additional species added, it's nice to have a fallback space to go in order to get your sets when you need them. Mm -hmm. The addition of the buildings are a nice touch. Uh, like I said, you get the option to, to differentiate yourself from other players. And also the manipulation cards in the base game, they can be really influential, but sometimes they're just not timely or not quite what you needed. And having this specialist space not only gives you a way to like cash them in, but the specialists you can acquire can genuinely shape a strategy. And I like that. Uh, I do have to point out uh, in a recent game that, well, not the recent game, the Game Over Summer, I actually uh, wrote this one down. Uh, I actually won that one, which isn't a gloat. I mean, I don't win that often, but I had a manipulation card. Uh, which is one of those take that cards that would send all the workers from one area to somewhere else. So it is the last round of play. Everyone's looking to get that one last dinosaur on the board. So around the table we go and everyone's placing at the market, picking up that last bit of fencing that they might need or maybe that one last DNA card. So on my turn, there's four meeples on that space. I use my manipulation card, send them all to the, it's called the Dinogenics IOM space. That's where you cash in your DNA for a dinosaur. Okay. Filled it up. So literally no one else could go there. Oh my goodness. I got one over on like everyone at the table. It was so wild. I'm telling you what, I had that manipulation card in my hand, like from the get go, from turn one. And there were several times I thought about trading it in for a special, I was just like, man, this, this isn't doing enough for me. And then right, right. straight up home wrecker. <laughs> So if there are complaints for Dinogenics, it is that from time to time, you know, never mind the DNA card issue where like, well, if you have a bum hand, that can be tough. Maybe they should have like you could you could even house for that. Like everybody starts with three DNA cards. You may discard two to draw two. You know what I mean? Something, whatever. Um, on top of that. Uh, there is a runaway leader issue from time to time. Uh, the way that the game works is, let's suppose that I build that Brontosaurus build. There I am building a Brontosaurus. Sure. Let's suppose that I get a Brontosaurus uh, in round one. I plonk it down. It makes my reputation goes, go up, which means I'm going to be first in turn order next turn. Okay. The problem with that is that the way that you get money in this game is at the beginning of the round. You have this little slider over the round, like what round it is. And then it just has little arrows pointing down and it says like, here's how many, uh, how many visitors are coming to visit the park. So whoever's first in turn order gets two visitors plus one. And then next up gets two. Then the next up gets one. Then the last one gets one. And then oftentimes there are bonus visitors. We'll say that in an early round, there's two bonus visitors. What does that mean? Well, I'm first in reputation, so I get them. As long as I have a hotel, you know, like the space for them. If I don't, right. well, then it goes to the next person. If they don't, it goes to the next. Which early on in rounds, third and fourth place, like in reputation or, or fifth or going back, they usually get those bonus workers because they have extra space in their hotel. I just right, made a Brontosaurus. Yeah. I didn't build a hotel, right? The problem is getting that Brontosaurus down not only bumps you up in rep, it also scores you points. And in this game, points are scored every round. So if Brontosaurus oh. gives five points, he's going to give me five points at the end of round one and two 
and three and four. Those visitors coming into the park, let's suppose that I got three and you know the other players each got two. Well, I got three bucks. Everybody else got two bucks. At the end of the round, for every two surviving, yes, your dinosaurs can rampage and potentially of eat course. one of your dudes. For every two surviving visitors that left your park, you get, uh, I, I believe it's three points for every pair. Well, whoever's first in order has the higher chance of scoring. So uh, that can sometimes be an issue. I don't find it to to ruin the game, and I, I don't think that it's uh, insurmountable, but I do think that it shapes play a little more than maybe it should. One last thing i got to point out, and then we, we can chit-chat away about it. Uh, you roll the rampage die whenever – okay, so when a dinosaur rampages, it's because something's not working out for it. Usually it means that a carnivore uh, isn't being fed. Yes, there's a spot where you can get goats. <laughs> so they get angry and they rampage or one of your fences say you have a raptor penned in you have a little fence there we'll call them fence meeples they're actually like laser cut wooden fences that you put in between oh, wow. on this grid oh it's it's beautiful on the board if you had a fence get destroyed then that raptor is no longer penned in he's going to rampage so you roll this rampage die and I, I love this the sides of the dice like there's a bad thing can happen or a bad thing can happen or a bad thing can happen, or nothing bad happened, and the people that that saw it happen, they think that it's all part of the show. Get an extra point and an extra dollar. Like they're like, wow, and they tip you because you know they saw a T Rex go running across right outside the window, not knowing that that was not planned. All right, Scott, have you played some Dinogenics? I have not. I've heard a lot about this game. Mm-hmm. There was always the, right at the same time, you had Dinosaur Island, Dinogenics coming out at the same time. I played Dinosaur Island a few times, but I never got around to playing this. So I got to get a chance to to get a game of this in at some point in time. Well, I'll play with you and hopefully soon, because we have news on Dinogenics. They're looking for, uh, Jimmy, thank you, Jimmy. Jimmy sent uh, sent a link to me and it says, hey, look at this. It's a snapshot that he got from social media, some, some site. Ninth Haven is looking for a developer because they want to get this on BGA. They oh, want to wow. add it to the arena. Oh, my Lord. Can you even imagine? My brothers and Mike, we've been playing Catan because that's like one that they all know and it's mm-hmm. familiar. And I, I just keep thinking, come on, guys. There's so many great games on here. Do we have to do Catan for the 11th time? I can't <laughs> wait till this is up so we can start shit talking each other over dinogenics oh great well i can game. add it to the games i've been playing i've been getting invites from different people i think i have about 12 different turn order games going at one time right oh now. that gets overwhelming i don't like it when it does that because then i get you know what you got to get back into the game you got to look at the board state and be like okay what was i planning to do yeah 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 no i've been playing with gary from uh pittsburgh mm-hmm. gary uh, he we we've seen him at a lot of pittsburgh events and everything oh yeah and uh lukak we've been playing with him don't Lukak. Know him. oh you know jason <laughs> but yeah he uh he jason you're dragging your feet man get your games going here for real uh, so we're always waiting for jason but <laughs> but no, it's it's great being able to to play all these games and seeing that they're trying to do this. I'm glad that BGA, I mean, they're really tearing it up here with getting games out there. And it's so friendly to play it. And I've met so many great people on here. So I'm anxious to see that Donagenics get to BGA. That'll be great. 
All right, in this uh, sort of flip-floppy episode, let's uh, we, we talked about what we've been playing. Let's talk about some things that we're looking forward to. Oh, hey, yeah, definitely. So, um, yeah, t- talking about with that coming to BGA, this kind of gets the um, acquisition disorder, as uh, Tony T likes to put it, oh, riled yeah? up here. Terraforming Mars Prelude 2 yeah. coming soon. So that's going to be... Oh man, I I I I gotta add it to my big box. I got the big box, so I gotta fill it up. Anything to get more corporations and more ways to play it. I mean, that's what I miss. I gotta get that game to the that game to the table here soon again. Yes, the six expansion for Terraforming Mars focuses on cross expansion effects, prelude cards with ongoing effects and actions, more project cards for your tableau. And five new corporations. Man, I'll be excited to see what they come up with. So much of the game is shaped by what corporation you pick. Oh, so much so. I mean, that's one of the biggest things there. Whenever you get into playing, whenever you play it the first time, you get those generic corporations. Mm-hmm. Then you get out the real corporations. Yeah, and put it's your like, big boy Whoa. pants on. It's like you open up like the Ark of the Covenant and all this light came out and just <laughs> spilled over top of you. So you want to go back and forth talking about things that uh, that we've noticed and what's yeah, on? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I'll go with uh, Cities of Venus. It's up and over 200% at the time Shut of up. recording. Yeah, they're crushing it. And I'm going to follow that right up with uh, Leviathan Wilds back on Kickstarter. You'll recall oh, we yes. did our, uh, our talk with that, uh, uh, that one, geez, like a year ago now. It was some time. So, yeah, they almost. launched and they were like, you know what? This isn't going as well as we thought it was going to. We're going to regroup. And we're going to relaunch. The relaunch happened, and man, they're at like a thousand percent. They set their goal at wow. like ten thousand, and they're they're somewhere around a hundred now. They're just crushing it. So really happy to see Leviathan Wilds doing so well. You're welcome. I, we we can't accept all the credit, but hey, it it happened around the time that we talked to you guys. So uh, yeah, we played a big role in that. On you. <laughs> so I saw an ad for this game called Ascendancy. Uh, and it, okay. it's describing itself as the ultimate 4X fantasy board game experience. Ho, ho, ho. Okay. Lead one of many asymmetric houses of royal lineage, each vying for the throne. Reclaim your family name through a hero, uh, hero's or villain's journey spanning multiple generations or a single scenario. You build your empire skyward, seize control outward, manipulate the economy, or dominate the battlefield. There are several paths to victory. Every decision counts, and no two games are ever the same. So now that the fluff's out of the way, uh, they're describing this as a labor labor of love in active development for over four years, inspired by classics like Heroes of Might and Magic 3, Civilization, Magic the Gathering, and of course, what it sounds a lot like, Game of Thrones. Core mechanics, engine build your tableau, worker placement, move to explore, place tiles, establish control outwards, and build upwards. Gameplay features looks like they're going to have solo, competitive, and co-op team modes. You can run a single scenario, multiple sessions. It's got this choose-your-own-adventure-style narrative. Dude, I'm telling you what, it it just feels like it has everything, and every time I look at the art for this game, uh, it looks mostly cards or or what I'm seeing so far. Uh It's so intriguing, and I love the idea that, like, you have, like, what, Descendants? I think there was a game called Crusader Kings that that tried to emulate a video game where, like, and, and Legacies. Legacies did that, too, where oh yeah, your guy's going to, like, eventually pass on the throne, so you have to have the next person, like, ready and waiting. I don't know. It's This game just looks very interesting. I put it on the list as one that I'll be looking forward to. What you got, King? 
we all know that there was a big game out uh, a couple years ago, Ark Nova. Everyone went crazy about it. So you had this, you had some of the water areas, you could throw things in here, but hey, you know you want more water stuff. So they're coming out with Ark Nova Marine Worlds. Mm -hmm. Now this is going to be expansion that in introduces multiple new elements of the game, such as sea animals that each have to be played in a special enclosure, but must be built adjacent to water. That makes sense. So you got to be careful with that there. Make sure that you uh, make your, your park work out the right way. Mm -hmm. There's also going to be a fourth university available on the association board that they have there. And if you take it, you can claim one of six special universities from the reserve that will feature one research icon and one of six animal icons. When you take this, you reveal cards from the top of your deck and keep the first revealed card with an animal icon that matches the one that you, you chose the university. You look at that game, and there is such a stack of cards for that game there. Mm -hmm. So this here, I think, is going to be a really cool way to kind of cycle through those, get more into the cards there, get more cards into being played. So that I think this is going to be very, very cool. Yeah, I like uh, that idea because you worry that, okay, now the deck is further diluted. Uh, Jason and I actually, about a year ago, uh, he and I were scheming. We actually started recording uh, like a mini series of side quests for Ark Nova solo. I was like, oh, you know, we're kind of, everybody did Ark Nova. We really don't need to do Ark Nova. We'll just, you know, what what was the point? Like, yes, it's, uh -huh. a, it's a great game. Just. Is anybody tuning in to hear another Ark Nova review? So we didn't. <laughs> but you know what would be cool is a side quest on like solo Ark Nova. And uh, one of the things that we did was we actually broke down all the statistics. How many cards with an Africa icon are there? How many herbivores are there? How many, like you name it, we had the stats for it. It just ended up not coming together to, to make oh. the five episodes. Uh, we got two in and I was just like, I don't know how entertaining this is versus an informative Nevertheless, I love the idea that these cards, the ones that you're adding to the deck, they have that option of if you draw it, you can cycle it. That's yes. a way that you can actually get through cards without diluting the the your the numbers that you become used to. You know, we've all played Ark Nova several times now, and it's like, okay, I know that, you know, there well, I don't know exactly how many are left in the deck, but I know that I have a decent chance of finding another Australia animal, for example. What they have next though is what's really got me excited. Yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, for each of the five action cards, four alternate versions with a little twist will be available. Now, players will draft the action cards at the start of play, replacing two of their standard action cards with these new ones, increasing the asymmetry in the game. That's huge. That's there. their I mean, prelude. That's their. Uh, that's their. That's yes. their corporation. I love that. So I'm guessing you put all twenty in the middle of the table, and everybody gets mm -hmm. to pick two. That's what it seems like. But yeah, oh, I, I'd love that idea. Yeah. Well, it's totally looking for a good one. Arc, Arc Nova uh, Marine Worlds. You know, they got the um, pre-order. Pre-order's up. Oh, damn it. <laughs> Dude, if we just wait, Jason will get it and we can play his. I take back everything I said about you, Jason. You're really cool. Mm-hmm. Well, enough of the animals here. Uh, what do you got now? I got the last spell, the board game. And this is another one that I keep seeing ads for. It's catching my eye. And I'm like, you know what? I'm interesting. It says it's a tabletop adaptation of Ishtar Games' video game of the same name, which I've never played. And my interest waned a little bit. Hmm. You're a hardened warrior whose only purpose in life is to desperately defend the last of the mages while trying to cast the last spell and banish all magic from this world and maybe save us all. Maybe. 
The game is set in a dark fantasy post-apocalyptic world in which you have to carefully manage the scarce resources at your disposal to survive long enough. Gameplay revolves around three cycles of day and night in which players use daylight hours to bolster the game economy, fortify defenses against nocturnal invaders, and upgrade the equipment to unlock more power. You can choose to play single scenarios or you can embark on a campaign that challenges you with increasing levels of difficulty. With a plethora of weapons and abilities at your disposal across multiple plays, there's always something new to explore. And for the ultimate test of your strategic prowess, witness the fiery destruction of your city in the face of overwhelming odds. This one just looks really cool. Uh, It's got the, I mean, I haven't played the video game. The miniatures, eh, they're minis. You know, I don't go crazy for minis, but like they have this one shot of the board. Uh, The board looks great. They've got like cardboard setup furniture happening. Uh, It almost reminded me of like the look of when Hero Quest was all set up and ready to go. I'm just really curious. The theme sounds cool. Never played the video game. Maybe we'll give it a shot, but it's one that caught my eye. That's the last spell. Yeah, I'm looking at it as well. And the minis actually look kind of cool because they are detailed, but they aren't like hyper super detailed. They aren't getting down to every little belt buckle and things like that. (sighs) Let me get into painter mode here. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whenever you're looking at it, if you're going to paint them, this would be one of those things where you're going to be doing a lot of dry brushing, quick hit with some washes and everything. You're done. I mean, literally, you're done. A lot Mm -hmm. of flat areas. There's not a lot of texture or anything, but still, there's something about them that looks really very, very cool. I, I'm somewhat intrigued in this here. Well, I'm going to intrigue you a little bit further. The designers are Alessandro Veracci, who's credited with Volfirian, and Nestor Man- Mangone, Mangoni, Mangon. I don't know how to say this. <laughs> Basinger, Bassinger. But you know what he's credited for? He's got Autobahn, Darwin's Ooh. Journey. Oh. Yeah, dude's got some uh, – Newton. He's got Newton on his list as well. Uh-oh. So, like, it makes me think this isn't going to be a die-rolling – you know, like a yeah, that's the word. Oh, that's the die rolling look fest. No, I think this is gonna have some euro elements. There's gonna be some game going on in here. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and like you said, there's something that has the the mixture of the minis and the cardboard stand ups of the city on fire. There's something about that that looks really very very cool. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. Keep your eyes open. It'll be on uh, Kickstarter May twenty fourth. Now. I got an email about this. I, I got to talk about this. <sighs> Fantasy Flight Games is coming out with a new trading card game. Hmm. Now, this trading card game is going to be based on this uh, little independent film that came out a number of years ago called Star Wars. Uh, another one? So, yes, yes, yes. So, they're going to try and get into the Star Wars trading card game. I don't know if I'm excited about it or if I'm just rolling my eyes and letting the people in the middle of Wisconsin hear my eyes rolling because <laughs> I'm rolling them so loudly. I don't know why you're rolling your eyes. That's Star Wars, the TCG. I you know, still have your cards from the one from the 90s. Because it was that good. Well, uh, 30 years later, anyway. they must have made, you know, it's <laughs> got to be improved, right? Well, there had been, oh my gosh, at least seven or eight trading card games that have been made over Star Wars and everything. So I don't know 
how they're going to really reinvent the wheel once again. Mm -hmm. Uh, They even had their uh, living card game for Star Wars, which, oh my God, absolutely. The artwork in that is gorgeous. That was a very cool game that they had out there, and they just let that go. Being more into board games now, I like the idea of getting what I want, seeing what's going to be in the box, being happy with it, playing it, and enjoying it. Okay. Not having to go with the whole, I'm going to pull the roulette wheel, get a pack of cards, see what I get. Turns into a lifestyle game. Yeah. 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 It's just one of those things where I almost want to say, other than magic and Pokemon, do we really need another big trading card game or something like that out there? Is there anything that's going to really change the game per se that's going to be so different and so game-changing that it's going to just blow everyone away. Maybe a lot of it comes down to like how much space is there for CCGs. Uh, as in, aside from Magic and Pokemon, like those two, they flip-flop on which one is, is on top as yeah. far as like sales go. But then third place? I don't even know what's third place. Yu-Gi-Oh? I, I don't even probably know. Yu-Gi-Oh. And it's probably a very, very distant third. Yeah. I think that the living card game model that they have was one of those things that works out well because you get the feeling, you get the enjoyment of playing a card game and doing your building your decks however you want to do it and everything. Mm-hmm. But you aren't going with the thing and then you figure out that, oh, I got another pack here. I got my 372nd Imperial Guard. <laughs> so I'm like, what am I going to do with that? But you know what? That's some of the that's some of the allure of these games. You know, I got into magic because, like, I remember flipping through an old inquest when the back of the inquest listed every magic card because there were only oh, like yes, yes. twelve hundred or so. And like, I would sit in my room, like in seventh grade, I would sit up in my room and listen to music and just flip through the back of that and like write down cards <laughs> that I wanted to find out if they had at the shop. You know, that's that's part of what's cool. They've got uh, Disney Lorcana coming out, and oh, I yes, think yes. that's what people like. I don't know if I'm going to junkie for it, but like I'm going to open a couple packs, see if I get like the super rare, you know, mythic foily card and like, oh man, I got the one that sells on eBay for, you know, there's part of me that like, that's half the fun, the collector, the reseller, that's half the fun of it. Um, The other half, of course, has to be the game. And I think a lot of it depends on a tournament scene. Take something like Star Wars Destiny. Uh, That was really hot, really hot for a minute. And Boy, did that just went out in a blaze of glow, like disappeared. Seems like overnight that game went from like, wow, this this thing's catching on to, and it's gone. It's funny because today we were talking about Lorcana at the shop, Mm -hmm. and we were trying to figure out whether more people are going to be buying it to play the game or buying it just for the idea of flipping it. Oh, that's my, I already said I'm, I'm buying a case. Like whatever they come out with, whatever the product is, uh, Unless they totally botch it and they they print it like I don't know early in Magic uh, Fallen Empire. Well, you had a shop, you know, you know your Magic, mm-hmm. and you'll recall Fallen Empire said the eight card booster packs, and for the longest time you could get a pack for like seventy cents because if they printed, I'll use small numbers. If they printed, I don't know, ten packs of Legends in total, they printed ten thousand packs of Fallen Empires. It was just oh. grossly overproduced. <laughs> And it plummeted. It plummeted what Fallen Empires were. Now, it doesn't help that the set entirely sucks. And like the best cards are not good, even back then. 
there was there was like the order of the Ebon Hand, and there was the order of Leaper. They were basically uh, White Knight and Black Knight with a uh, pump ability. Mm-hmm. Like that was it. <laughs> I, I I digress. I think I'm going to get in on it so long as they don't overprint it. Because man, you see, first edition Magic is so expensive. Like Alpha Beta Magic is so expensive. Mid '90s Pokemon cards are so expensive. Mm-hmm. Right now, it could pull a Star Wars Destiny or or a uh, what Star Trek CCG, where like right. the early dude. I was on Hills Wholesale Gaming just the other day. I was I was at that World of Values, and Chrissy's like, you know that My Little Pony game, the the CCG that you have some cards for. I was like, yeah. She's like, they have theme decks, and I went over. I was like, oh, they have Twilight Sparkle and Applejack, <laughs> and they're three dollars each. Now wait a minute, three dollars each. These are probably I could probably get this eight pack from uh, from Hills Wholesale Gaming for eight dollars. Nope. It was like 45 and I was like, well, shit, I'm buying me some My Little Pony. <laughs> so I got some uh, some theme decks for the CCG, <laughs> which is surprisingly good, by the way. I, I played it a handful of times and it is surprisingly decent. The problem is, okay. who the hell are they marketing to? Because I thought, uh, oh, man, uh, my daughter's eight. She would never be able to understand how to play that game. And she's already over My Little Pony. So I was like, no, I'm too oh. old for that. <laughs> so I guess they're bronies. Oh, yes, bronies. Maybe that's maybe that's what they're shooting for. Well, Scott, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention a couple more. Inventions, Evolution of Ideas from Eagle Griffins coming to crowdfunding June 15th. This is a big old Lacerda game. It looks every bit as deluxe as Eagle Griffin Lacerda's and also every bit as complex. And finally, Clank Legacy 2 is on Uh-oh. Kickstarter. By the time this airs, there's like three more days. Love the first Legacy. Clank Legacy 2 is coming and I'm already trash talking my brother and Mike. We are totally going to get <laughs> in on that <laughs> oh that's good stuff there it's uh, i i still have to play my first legacy game here yet so really yeah we need to make this happen scott okay okay adventures if you got let's let's take suggestions adventures i'm gonna yes, put up yes i'm gonna put I it like in that uh, let's put it in the bgg forums in uh, under our guild if you're not in the guild we're guild 3722 we'll send you 10 geek gold so you can get yourself a micro badge get your own wilford but you're gonna see a forum post there that says what legacy game should we make scott play don't say seafall because oh, i've wait, already done wait, it wait 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 make him play i want to go and play something i want to enjoy okay, it's not okay. gonna be like <laughs> what legacy game should scott enjoy uh, that's that's how we'll approach this. <laughs> hey, you know what we might do? We might scratch that because uh, I think my city is on BGA, so okay. that might it's on something. Okay, well let's check things out here. Oh, and I thought we were going to mess things up, and he was going to completely forget about us because we went with the games first, then the news. But no, he's always on top. We should have tucked him in the back of the episode. He keeps us honest. That's what he does. Yes, yes, he does. Scott, we've got a debut in the top 100. A game is racing to the top. Is that the name of the game? No, it's a game. It's a game that is racing to the top. It's got its foot on the gas. Heat. Yeah, heat pedal oh. to the mole. It's cracked the top 100. It sits at 97. And Adventures, this game has been wow. really hard to get a hold of. Um, they said, I saw a post earlier that by the end of May, they're hoping that FLG at uh, friendly local game stores are going to have copies again. So it's on the way. Don't overpay. And it looks like there's a new evergreen title for Days of Wonder. Tell you what, yeah. they crush it. 
They really do. Yeah, they may not get a lot of games out, but when they do, it's one of those things. That, I mean, God, look at it. Ticket to the Ride. I mean, that is just one of those mainstays that everyone knows how to play. Everyone plays it. So, yeah, they really pick and choose well with their games. Top 10 trends. We've got some movement, and it's uh, it's not that exciting. Gloomhaven, as you'll recall, it fell to number three. And Pandemic Legacy Season 1 had taken the two spot. Well, that's flip-flopped. Gloomhaven is back to number two. Pandemic Legacy is at number three. I should mention, Frosthaven's knocking on the door. I can't believe Heat cracked the top 100 before Frosthaven. Uh, Oh, yeah. you played some Heat. Is it it all it's cracked up to be? It must be. It it was a lot of fun there with uh, making sure that you have the cards, you have to play them out, you have to take a chance, get back in your hand. Uh, it's been a little while since I played it, so I mean, I would have to definitely refresh my mind on the rules. But yeah, it was it was fun. But then again, racing games, I de- I generally kind of enjoy. Mm-hmm. Those are usually a good thing there to play. Highest peaks, we got Great Western Trail, second edition. That climb continues up to 35. Wow. Kanban EV at 58. Cthulhu, Death May Die at 75. And of course, Heat Pedal to the Metal at 97. Let's do some happy birthdays. All right. We've got Dune Imperium, two years in the top 100, as well as Lost Ruins of Arnak. Architects of the West Kingdom, also on BGA. Man, we need to start getting like some, some kickbacks from BGA. Architects of the West Kingdom, four years. Viticulture, Essential Edition, six years. And Star Wars Rebellion, seven years. Good stuff. Good stuff there. Well, Scott, we, uh, we've, we've gotten a little partnership going with WizKids, it seems. You've gotten in like four or five games from them. And, oh, and yeah. we've got another one that's not coming. It's, when, it, when is it even I- released? It actually was just released, I believe, at the end of last month. Oh, well, all right. Well, we're talking Marvel Damage Control. We had a chance to play this one a few times. We're back-to-back marveling. And even Ryan was like, wait, Marvel again? Did you see Guardians yet? I most certainly did. All right, what'd you think? This is your chance. Oh, I loved it. Mm -hmm. There are some things that bothered me, but then again, I'm... uh, I'm kind of a, a Marvel zombie here, so I, I kind of get into things a little bit more than people should. But overall, it was a very enjoyable movie. It was a great way to end those three movies together there. And uh, yeah, you better take some Kleenex with you. Aww. Well, see, now that's our tie-in. That's why we're back-to-back Marvel. And you ready to walk through? Let's do it! Hey, adventurers! King Scott here, and time for us to go through our 8-bit breakdown of Marvel Damage Control. This was designed by Amari Akil, published by WizKids, and released in 2023. Damage Control is a deck-building game where you're cleaning up the mess that the heroes left behind during their last battle to save the Earth. First, setup. Depending on the number of players, 1 to 4, you must set up the destruction zone barriers. These are puzzle-like pieces that create a square area in which you are cleaning up. Next, you will select two modules to add to the destruction deck. Now, these modules could be anything from Asgardian weapons to Pym Particles. Now, these will add flavor to the game. There are two hero cards as well in those modules that will be shuffled into the hero deck. More on that in just a few moments. 
Each player then takes nine cards and you simultaneously drop eight of those cards face down in the zone. The final card you will drop face up so you get a peek at the goodies that are hidden in all the debris. Take the hero deck and reveal five heroes for all to see. If you collect the right items, you may be able to recruit the heroes to help clean up this mess. Next, you get your starting deck of five cards. Three construction workers. These will help you reveal a face-down card. And two engineers. These will help you extract the cards. Each player will then select a manager at random, which will supply the game with an asymmetric twist. You will also get a player dashboard showing where to play your cards and help you plan your turn, as well as a vault where you can hide cards away to keep your deck running efficiently. You're now all set up and ready to play. After shuffling your hand, deal yourself four cards. You can then place them on your player dashboard to help you create your turn. During your turn, you will do the following. First, play or discard all your cards. Each card you discard will give you one influence token. These will be used to activate some of the cards you reveal in the wreckage. Next, look at the characters that you have available. See if you can recruit them. Each character will have a recruit cost that you must meet in order to add them to your deck. Finally, clean up and add characters to the lineup so that there are always five. As you reveal cards in the rubble, you want to look at the top right corner. There could be events that occur that keep the game evolving. If you get a collapse symbol, grab another card, add it to the rubble face down. If there's a new character sighting, add a new character to the lineup and remove the one furthest to the right. Depending on the modules you add, you could also be trading cards with others or forcing other players to discard from their hand. Once all cards have been removed from the destruction zone, it is time to find the winner. You will score points for artifact cards in your vault. Points for your characters in your deck, any endgame effects, a set collection bonus, and one point for every three influence tokens you have remaining. Now, let's clean up this mess and see what Patrick has to say about this game, Marvel Damage Control. As of right now, you're no longer S.H.I.E.L.D.-sanctioned superheroes. Welcome to Damage Control. Damage what? Has your city experienced a Kree invasion? Did a random supervillain leave a super mess? Did Doctor Doom destroy your living room? Then it's time to call Damage Control. We have 10 years in the business and a spotless track record. How do I know? Because I'm Mac Porter, the founder and CEO. But don't listen to me. Here's some satisfied customers. My donut shop was completely obliterated by Dragon Man. But thanks to Damage Control, I'm back in business. Damage Control is the only company officially sanctioned by SHIELD, so you know we can be trusted. Captain Ultra here, and sometimes when I'm saving the world, things happen. That's when I call Damage Control. What's, What's your, your damage? damage? Hey, thanks, King, for the walkthrough of today's review game, Marvel Damage Control. Adventures, as you know, we like to break down our review games into eight bits, eight facets of the game to tell you all about it. We're going to finish with was it fun and who's it for, but we're going to start with the art and components. King. Uh, all right. So components. There's not much here. 
you have some player dashboards to place your cards as you play them and uh, some cards. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's basically it. The artwork, though, is a plus. Yeah. It's all uniform. Granted, it may just be an object or a character on it, but it is all done in the same style. Many times with comic-based games, different illustrations will be used, leading to different artists' work being used on different cards. In this, all the art looks the same, which I feel adds to the enjoyment of the game and more cohesion to one solid game that you're playing there. I think that's a a great addition to this here. It's very colorful Mm -hmm. and really draws people in whenever you have it out on the table, especially having the zone where you have to drop in the cards. You, depending on the size of the of the game, if it's two players, three players, four players, you can make the spot where the building collapsed a little bit bigger to accommodate all the players. Yeah, that was brilliant. What did you think? Well, I think that the art is fantastic. Like right out of a comic book, it's colorful. It's what I want. Like, okay, you're playing a game where you're going to be dropping cards into this square. We can't – this isn't a Lacerda, right? This isn't going to be a brain-burning Euro. It surprisingly has a lot of strategy involved. But it's a game that like – you know what? I could play this with a younger gamer and just because there is like, oh, we drop these in. It's like the building falling apart and things are uh, needing cleaned up. I like that. You know what I mean? It's, It's got a playful theme to it. Yet there is a lot of game. Clean iconography. I love the fact that it's uh, yeah. the graphic design makes it very easy to figure out. I thought the little chips that you get for, uh, you know, like the money and whatnot, they're they're kind of thin cardboard, but we don't talk about it much. We're going to talk value. This this game's 35 bucks. Mm-hmm. 35 bucks. You got four different, um, uh, what, like modules, like baddies, like their decks. You yes. Can do the whole con- okay. There's a lot of game in here for 30. I can't think of many games you can get for 35 bucks now. Everything's a $100 Kickstarter at least. <laughs> I don't need the uh, the chips to be wood tokens here. I liked it all in all for uh, for the price, uh, for what you're getting. I think the art and components were quite good. Yes, yes. Well, that'll take us right into bit number two, the theme and immersion. So I had to ask you when we first played this one, okay, what exactly is going on here? Why are we doing this? Wait, we're, we're cleaning up after the... After this, wasn't that actually in like the canon in one of the movies? Uh, one of the mar- like that they had the accords of some sort where like they're not oh, allowed to destroy oh, 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 cities oh. anymore. What? Well, that was in the Sokovian Accords. But actually, going back further, they actually had a comic book series called Damage Control. Oh, and it was all about the Office of Damage Control that had to go and clean up after the battles. So you stop and think. Uh, whenever they had. Um, at the end of the Avengers movie. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot of crap that went down there. You have these giant worms coming in. You got all these dead Chitari laying around. But what's going to happen? Well, you call gam- damage control well, and they're going to come and clean it up. <laughs> so the theme, I feel, comes across quite well with this. You're a foreman trying to clean up a disaster that has happened when a villain and a hero have battled. You call damage control to clean up the mess. Mm-hmm. You just want to get the job done. Who's going to notice if you happen to use some of the mess to help you clean up quicker? Immersion, I'm not sure of. Uh, do I get the feeling I'm really leading this team to clean up a mess, or am I just picking up cards? I, I'm kind of just picking up cards, but it's still fun doing it. Like you said, with the artwork and everything, it still keeps me involved with just the fun aspect of playing this. Yeah, yeah. I like that. 
that you can use the Wakanda deck or you can use the Asgard deck, you're going to be finding relics and artifacts that make sense. Like you're going to find the hammer in the rubble or you're going to find like that Wakandan bracelet in there. And they all do different things. Plus that row of uh, heroes, how like Spider-Man lets you grab more stuff. It feels like, mm-hmm. you know, he's shooting the webbing because eventually you need some help. You can call upon some heroes. Hey, uh, can you help me uh, lift this car? <laughs> you know what I mean? Some <laughs> of the tough stuff. You actually get to put them into your deck. It is a deck building game. I thought the immersion part was actually kind of cool. The fact that you're dropping the cards makes it feel like like a building has collapsed, like there is rubble or you pick, you know, like you pick one thing out of this big, big old pile of junk in your house mm-hmm. and like everything else kind of tumbles around it a little. Yeah. I like that uh, the, the way that you flip the cards depends on the symbol being revealed. I love that yep. whenever you flip up a card, if it has that, uh-oh, more rubble's piling up, you got to pick up more cards and plop, plop, plop into the yep, middle. Yep. You know what? I, I thought they did a, a very good job with the theme and immersion of this one. Uh, like you said, immersion, no. I'm n- I, I don't have a mop and a bucket you know, in my yeah. hands as I'm playing. But for the things that you're doing mechanically in this game, you know, your starting deck, they are – just people, engineers. They have on you know hard hats and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and throughout the game, yeah, you get a little bit more powerful. You call in the help of a hero. You there found you something that is going to help you to clean up a little bit better. I thought it was kind of neat and very yeah. unique. Yeah, the theme really shines in this. That takes us to bit number three, the complexity, which I thought I'm going to take this one. I thought it was surprisingly okay. simple, and that might be because you taught it to me. But and we have familiarity with deck builders. I guess we can't. We can't discount that. But otherwise, you're playing cards. You're matching up the symbols. So the symbols are what dictate what you're allowed to acquire uh, from the, the purchase side. You're picking up things from the middle. Uh, I thought it was pretty easy to understand how to play this one. Tell, tell me, what do you think? Complexity for Marvel damage control. Well, this is nice. Compared to our last Marvel game we talked about, Age of Heroes, this one is much friendlier to new players. Yeah. For seasoned gamers, like you said, this is a bit of a deck builder, and we have played some once or twice. Mm-hmm. For new players that have not, the dashboards included in this are a great way to give a visual sense as to where the cards need to be played. Right. You can, Whenever you play the card in front of you, you'll place them on the dashboard, and then whenever you're going to buy things, you see right there exactly where you're going from and what you can do. So they do a great job of making this very user-friendly for newer gamers. Mm -hmm. And I think that's such a huge, huge plus instead of... Now, granted, Dominion was one that came out years and years ago, and they didn't really know what they had. So they didn't have anything there. You're just laying out cards and playing them, and you figure out, I got to do this, 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 and this. If they put it out now and put a little dashboard out as far as what you need to do and what you're going to do, where, and things like that, that really makes that little hurdle that much easier for right, new gamers right. to get into. So, yeah, I think they did a uh, a fantastic job on keeping this easy for people to get into, but still there's complexity in it in the gameplay itself. Well, that's going to take us right into bit number four, the rulebook and the learning curve. Why don't you do the rulebook? Mm-hmm. I'll do the curve. Yes, the rulebook is very well laid out. It takes you through everything and gives you a lot of examples in it as well. It's not a challenging game to learn, but the tricky thing in this is that there's enough little changes in it you need to read the rulebook. So that was something there I found out first time going through. Oh, I know this. I know this. I know this. 
I did know it. So that's one of the great things here that they make it a very usable rule book. Whenever you like, I'm not sure about that. Boom, boom, boom. Oh, there it is right there. Got it. And now very, I'm sure. Very, very simple there. The, the rule book does a great job of taking away any hurdles that may be in the way of a new player or a seasoned player that thinks that they know everything. <laughs> <laughs> now, what did you think about the learning curve then? Very easy. I think if you are familiar with deck builders, you're going to find it remarkably simple. Uh, if you're not familiar with the deck builder, that might be a hurdle that you're going to have to get over. Uh, but it's not a challenging game. And I think the, a challenging game to figure out, to understand how to formulate a strategy. That's when we talk learning curve, we don't mean like, you know, are you going to be able to play it and understand what you're doing? Well, what we mean is, are you going to be able to formulate a strategy? Uh, and honestly, I think even in game one, you're going to be able to formulate a little bit of a strategy. I had Falcon right. in a game and Falcon is you get to you know, basically you exhaust him and he lets you pick up like two or three extra cards. Three. three. Okay. And some of those cards have point values. And it's like, okay, so I need to find a guy that's going to let me flip up cards that are in the rubble. And I'm going to pair them with Falcon. And that's going to let me just pick this one, that one, and that one. And I'm going to do that every turn. Now I couldn't find a guy. Oh, I kept hitting that deck hard trying to find a guy that would let me flip cards up. It never came together. They're in there, but you can see when you read the card, okay, I think I know how I want to pair this one up. It's all made easier by the iconography. You said they put that dashboard there. That's awfully convenient, but the iconography is just very well done. The graphic design of the game made it very easy to play. Let's get into the meat of this one, Scott. Bit number five, the meat. Okay, now then, I know you get into the meat a little bit more than I do, so... I love but the this meat. here, the thing that I really liked about this game is, sure, you want to get points, but the key to it is to build an engine that will reap the most for you. This can be done, and you can do it while messing with your opponent as well. You can choose a Marvel hero to assist you, like you said, with Falcon or Spider-Man. But if you play correctly, you can make sure that your opponents miss the chance to grab the game-breaking hero by getting them first or by playing a card to cycle the heroes out. Yeah. That can be really useful. Mm -hmm. So that's such an important thing there. Whenever you're playing, you can play that one card. And it's like, whoop, that last card's gone. We're going to put a new one out. It could be an even better card for it. But you know that that one is gone there. So it's easy for new people to get involved with, but the strategy of building that engine is such an important part of this game here. And I think it's one of those things that it's not overdone to the point of you get upset if you don't get what you need exactly. Yeah, You can yeah. still make an engine out of what you have and still make things work. And that still makes an enjoyable process. So your meat of the game, what did you think of that? Oh, you said a lot of it there. And, and you know what? It just, this doesn't tie in with the meat, but how fun is it when you get to like flip a card up and it's something that just works and you're like, oh, oh I yes. found that. Oh, I can't believe I got that. And you want to get your poker that. face on there. You want I, your poker face on. You I don't want to like this. grin too much. Like, this is it, this is it. <laughs> oh my. So much of it is in the deck building. Uh, because you're like a deck builder, you're going to be seeing five cards a turn. You need to see the right five. Now you start with cards that will flip a card up from the rubble, 
take a card from the rubble, get rid of a card from the rubble for some coin, right? So it starts very simple, but as you add things that give you different symbols, like the mask, uh, if you want the Falcon, I think you needed uh, two masks in order to hire him. Basically say, hey man, mm-hmm. we need your help. It might've been masks, I might be mistaken, but whatever it was, you needed to have those prerequisites. Where do you find those prerequisites? Typically in that rubble that you're sifting through. Uh, you need PIMTAC for uh, Ant-Man cards. Some of them are like giving you bonuses for more PIM PIMTAC, right? That's what they're calling it. PIM? Yes, yes. Pim- oh, there's a D on the end. <laughs> Sorry. I, I just I think that there's a lot of meat in this game in how you're constructing your deck, what cards you're finding, what you're opting to get rid of. And then there are end game points in those heroes too. Like Captain Marvel doesn't I don't think she did anything on her own. She was strictly like at the end of the game, you get three points for each mask symbol. There's for some meat. Alien, I think it is. Was it alien? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Timing out when you're going to get those ones. You know, do you get them early and then look for alien symbols or do you get alien symbols and then hunt for Captain Marvel? I, I mm. thought that was a big part of, of the meat of the game. If you're playing to, playing to win, playing for the high score. Boy, this, this one's fun, though, even when you lose. <laughs> now, uh, with the next one, we have the replayability and variability. Mm-hmm. I think it has replayability written all over it. You get four factions, if you will. Yes, I'm using air quotes of which you will add two into the debris of the work zone. So with that, you have six different combinations that you can play with using those four different things there. Adding an expansion to this game would open up all sorts of variations on this play. Throw in a Guardians thing, throw in an Iron Man set or something like that. It's all sorts of things you can add on to this to really add on to both the replayability and the variability to this here. Mm-hmm. Uh, honestly, hint, hint, whiz kids, hint, hint. <laughs> what did you think about this? Well, I do like the, you have the different factions to cycle. The things that you're going to find in the rubble are going to come up in different orders, game after game. Uh, I think it's plenty replayable in that regard. It also has going for it that this is what, like a 45-minute game, maybe? Uh, maybe about that. I'd say probably gets closer to the 30-minute game, probably. Okay, so it has that going for it, too. It's not exhausting that, like, you finish it and your brain's racked after the three hours of thinking. Uh, it's meant, it's designed to be a fun game. You know what I mean? It's designed to be a, a you know, let's let's throw this down and just enjoy it for a little bit. Uh, it's probably not your flagship game for game night, but it's one that, you know what, we have time for three games. Let's make sure we get this one in because I have a lot of fun with it. Replayability, variability, I, I put it somewhere closer to the middle because there are duplicates of the base deck that you're putting into the rubble. Mm-hmm. Um, you You use two of the decks, two of the factions, right? And there are four. So that does limit you a good bit. I kind of wish that there were five or six, but uh, hey, you know what? It's not bad with what it has. Definitely. Bit number seven, we talked downsides. And, you know, I'm going to lead it right off this time because I think that maybe that's one of the downsides is that eventually, you know, you will find that, okay, I've played these four decks. You know, if you're the type of gamer that you get a game and you play it 30 times, you know, in the first year you have it or five times in that first month. You're going to be seeing a lot of the same cards that you've seen before. But aside from that, knowing that this is an inexpensive game that's designed to be a 30-minute fun romp, there's not a lot to complain about. Yeah, and I'm very similar to this on it. It's it's kind of a one-trick pony. You flip cards, add them to your deck, repeat. There's only so much you can do. And there are times that, yeah, that could be a downside if you're looking for something more. But 
it's hard to really think of a, a real downside for what they're going for with this game. Right. People aren't going to be buying damage control going, oh, man, I really wish that they would have had upgradable work. Like, they're not going to be looking for Lacerda mechanisms when they buy damage control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And getting uh, metal coins and making sure that you have 3D printed uh, outsides around the thing where you're going to be throwing the cards into. <gasps> we could make it. <laughs> So, was it fun and who's it for? What do you think, Patrick? For me, I'm saying this one is fun. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I'm going to go to who's it for, though. I I don't want to gloss over was it fun for me. Yes, this was fun for me, and I will probably request this one again in the near future. Who's it for, though? This is where it's like, okay, how do we we pitch this one to people? Because it sounds so unique compared to other games. Look, you're not going to play Terracotta Army. And then play this looking for the same feeling. Right. Um, you know what it kind of reminded – like who's the target? Think something like uh, – oh, not Space Base, Galaxy Trucker. Right? Okay, yeah. Galaxy Trucker – and now this is a very different game. But Galaxy Trucker is a unique game in the tabletop space in that it does something very different than what most – you know, hobby board gamers are looking for in their game night. And yet it still hits the spot. For so many gamers. And I think that this kind of does the same thing. You've got a small footprint. You've got a relatively quick game. You've got something unique that you're doing that's fun. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something there at times where you're looking for the next big thing. You forget to look for the fun part. Sure. Sure. I I agree with you. It was fun. Uh, This is a great game. I look at it to take to family holiday dinners. It's not going to burn your brain after a big meal, but will keep you entertained. Mm -hmm. Uh, The artwork is light. The gameplay is easy to pick up. Set up is a breeze. I think also this is a fun one for Marvel fans as they'll definitely get the joke about damage control. And really, it's one of those things where people like you, whenever you said about damage control, really, Marvel fans are going to be like, yep, it's a real thing. (laughs) So, yes. So, I think overall, we enjoyed it. Yes. And that is Marvel's Damage Control. Scott, every dead body on Mount Everest was once a highly motivated individual. Buddy, one year ago, we had the chance to play and review Summit, the board game from our good friend Connor over at Inside Up Games, and this, I would say, used to be their flagship game up until Earth came out. This is Trey Parker's favorite game, and boy, they had a big sign-up at Origins last year that said that. Oh, yeah. Summit's a lot of fun. This is a pretty cool one where you're scaling a mountaintop. You can play cooperatively or competitively. And when we reviewed it, we did several games competitive because we want to kill each other and cut yes. the ropes and whatnot. <laughs> so a year later, how are we feeling about Summit? Well, I haven't had a chance to get it back out. And that's mostly due to trying to learn new games all the time. Yeah, But it's one that personally, I think I will always keep in my collection no matter what. Because, one, it is so unique with the triangular pieces you put out on the mountaintop there, the different ways to play it. And I think it's special to me in that I got to play that whenever it was first coming out at Origins along one of the side hallways with Connor and two other guys here, Mm -hmm. meeting Connor for the first time. And since then, we've 
we've become friends and always a, a bright spot to see him and everything. I want to get it back to the table more often. I want to introduce it to more people because it is such a unique thing there. Uh, I just haven't had a chance to, and I think I'm going to try and make that a difference here in this next year coming up. Oh, boy, what a thematic game this is. Yeah. You know, you, you start moving those meeples up that mountain. You see your food, your rations go down. And, you know, it feels like, oh, man, I got to keep my guy alive. I got to get to the next camp. Oh, I want to go out on this rope. And then it is very take thatty. Uh, some oh, of those yes. cards are were, were nasty to each other. And, oh, yeah. And frankly, yeah. I like that. You know, th th it's a competitive game where you're trying to race up and down a mountain. It should be take that. You should be able to like <laughs> pull little tricks on each other. <laughs> I'll never forget the first first set. One of those times we played, you I think it was a sled. You got a sled. Oh, yeah. Yep. And it was like on the way down, you can go from one encampment to the other. And I was just like, what? And I just picture there, there's King Scott in his uh, with his crown and his kingly gear on a sled. <laughs> like, cheerio, peasant, passing me as I'm like freezing my butt off with no food on this side of this mountain it's fun I, I just i i it's one of those games that i don't have it in my collection so i'm gonna play it when it comes out it just it's not up to me to bring it out yeah and it's one of those things where you said about the sled the neat thing about it is if you find that sled on the way up well hey you can just stow it somewhere on the side of the mountain and bring it on the way back down but therein lies the rub, because if you don't make it to the top first and your opponent does, they know where you put the sled and they're going to take that sled from you. So, yeah, there's a lot of cutthroat action. Uh, I haven't played it cooperatively, but I will have to give that a try sometime. Maybe we'll revisit it. We probably should have before today so we could talk about co-op. But <laughs> just talking about it, I'm kind of jonesing to get that one back out. Maybe we'll uh, Maybe we'll hit up cooperative summit at some point in the near future sounds like a plan so one year later we given it the recommend neither of us had it in our top 10 games of last year of all the games that we reviewed i still think though that it's a very good game and i'm yes. gonna recommend it yeah it's just such a unique game that really stands out from all the other games you probably have on your shelf Scott, we've got the winners of the 17th Annual Golden Geek Awards. These are for 2022, determined by the users of Board Game Geek. So over the last month, users on Board Game Geek could go in and nominate games that they felt hit the, the categories the best, like the best two-player game, the best war game, that sort of thing. You could select 10, and then they would make a whole bunch of like, here are the nominees, here are the, the several that got the most picks, and then from there... People could uh, pick uh, the, the winners and the runners up. You ready? I certainly am. All right. So let's start this off with the best two-player game. Runners up, Wingspan Asia, Undaunted Stalingrad, and the winner, Splendor Duel. And that's sitting on my shelf right here waiting to get my wife to play it with me. Is that right? Have you played it yet? I played it to learn it, and it is very simple to get into. Nice, small, they made the gem tokens smaller, so it's a nice, compact way of playing Splendor. Okay, okay, yeah, let's give it a whirl sometime. Tell you what, I have Undaunted Normandy, and I think uh, I've, I have two of the Undaunted games, haven't played them yet. What kind of a bum yeah, does I, that? I, I, I have a couple, and they keep winning awards and uh, haven't tried them yet. <laughs> 
Okay, well, hey, let's take a look here at the next one for artwork presentation. Now, runner-up, one of our favorites that we really enjoy, Wonderland's War. Love the it. next runner-up was Everdell. Now, this is getting tough here. The winner is Flamecraft. Yeah, was that just inevitable because the charming, appealing artwork? I, I'm sorry. I, I'm completely entranced by Everdell. But, hey, I haven't played Flamecraft, so I can't say for sure there. I've played and enjoyed Flamecraft, and I, yeah, the artwork presentation is fantastic. Because we're talking artwork. Not components necessarily, though it had fantastic components. They're just talking artwork. I thought Wonderland's Wars presentation was phenomenal. But artwork, uh, you know, they have the minis in there. They have the chips, but like the artwork is kind of limited. So, yeah. Now, Everdell's got great artwork. The problem is it's been out. Like there's nothing new or like, oh, well, there is some new in that complete collection. But Everdell's a known quantity. You know, Flamecraft was like the boom, look at this. So, yeah, I can see that. Artwork presentation, congrats to Flamecraft. Yes, yes. The best cooperative game of 2022. Runners up, we have ISS Vanguard, Oathsworn Into the Deepwood, and the winner, Return to Dark Tower. Oh, yeah, that's definitely uh, is deserving of it. Now, I haven't done Orthsworn or ISS Vanguard, but I know from what we did with Dark Tower, it is a lot of fun. There's so much going on with that. So, yeah, hey, good on them for getting that. You know, I think some it's going to boil down. Like, ISS Vanguard, that is a gamer game, right? Oathsworn, oh, yeah, yeah. Th- Oathsworn is a gamer game. Now, all three of these are expensive. Don't get me wrong. But mm-hmm. Return to Dark Tower is the cheapest of the three. And it's got a little bit more mass appeal. Like you can right, get your right. like semi-gamers to play it. And they're going to understand what they're doing. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I could absolutely see Return to Dark Tower. We loved that one. Yeah. Well, Beck's game expansion. Now, this one here seemed like it was just made for me so (laughs) runner-up was dune imperium immortality Mm -hmm. the next runner-up was wingspan asia and the winner was dune imperium rise of ix and i will have to say of the two i really do like rise of ix a lot better uh immortality sure i mean it it looks great and everything adds new things to the game but i think rise of ix just gives it that extra little bump that it needed to make it just from like a great game to whoa this is an epic game we're playing right now so yeah good on them for that to get your big fancy box for that yet no no uh, no I, I i got some things i gotta get out of the way first but that's gonna be coming that's gonna be coming the most innovative game runners up touring machine heat pedal to the metal and the winner cat in the box deluxe edition Ah, that was another one that I think might have been inevitable. That thing made a huge buzz when it came out. What with the tricks being whatever you declare and putting your marker onto that grid saying, okay, this is what we're doing and no one else can play this color, this number. A very innovative game. I just have to wonder, uh, did you find Heat to be innovative? Maybe it was. Uh, I I I have not played Heat yet. so. Not, I, I mean, it was one of those things where you play it and you kind of get an idea where you're going with it. First time I played Cat in a Box, I'm just sitting there like, what am I doing? And then it took a while for it to like click in like, oh, 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 I get it now. So, 
Yeah, I think definitely Cat in a Box really did knock it out of the park there. Well, how about light game of the year? We've got two runners up, Splendor Duel and Long Shot the Dice Game. The winner, Cat in the Box Deluxe Edition for the light game of the year. That I find a little bit tough because, yeah, it's a light game. It's a quick game to pick up and play. But there is an amazing level of strategy in that. That it's not just one of those things where you're just like, oh, I got to play this, I got to play this, blah, 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 blah. No, you have to really play in that game there and play it. Because it's one, whenever you talk to somebody and you say, all right, so it's a trick-taking game, but none of the cards have any colors until mm-hmm. you dis- decide what it is. I just say, if you're going into it, it's like, this doesn't make sense. And then until you actually sit down and play it, and it's like, oh, oh you gotta I go get through it the now. motions. Hence why it won yeah. most innovative. Yes, yes, very much so. I gotta say, I really liked Long Shot the Dice Game. And if I if I was picking Light Game of the Year, I would have gone with Long Shot. Uh, my complaint with Cat in the Box is uh, you play over several rounds, and seemingly every time I've played, someone runs away with it. Like, mm. come round three, you know, kind of like, oh, man, it's between these two. These two are out, but these two, it's between them. And then, like, partway through round four, you're like, okay, this person's got it, which I guess that's how a game should go. But, man, it almost feels like a player elimination after two rounds. If you had a, a bad <laughs> round, it's like, oh, no. this Basically, it's, it's, it's almost like a survival. Just don't have a dud round where you score in the negatives in those first two and you're in the running. And I can't seem to figure it out. <laughs> I'm a lover of trick-taking games, so I'm all over Cat in a Box taking it. So So what do we have for medium game of the year? All right, medium game of the year. We have a runner-up with Flamecraft, another one with Wonderland's War, and the winner was Heat, Pedal to the Metal. And this, I could could see this as being something that is a medium-weight type of game. There is some things you have to take into consideration here when you play the cards, when you get them back in your hand. Now, Flamecraft and Wonderland's War, I've not uh, I've not played Flamecraft. Wonderland's War, I don't think it has the appeal that Heat does. I mean, yeah, it's it's an interesting thing there, but if you don't have your finger to the pulse of what's going on in the gaming universe, you're not really gonna know what this is. Heat, you've got those cars on there running, racing, pedal to the metal. Yeah, I'm in. So I think that's one of those reasons why this probably won out over Wonderland's War and Flamecraft. I can't comment much because I haven't played Heat yet. Um, Flamecraft, I was, I was lukewarm on. You know, it's it's a fine yeah. game. Wonderland's War, I love. I absolutely oh, I love. Know, I can't yeah. wait to play Heat because that's immediately where my mind's going to go is comparing it to Wonderland's War. There's also the potential that there's a newness bias. Uh, uh, what do they call it? Like a, a bias because he yeah. is brand new. So like if you've got your box of heat and it's out of print and everybody wants to play this game with you, right? There's something to be said about like for a lot of us, and I say us because I'm probably included in this, the new hot thing, you always like put a little bit higher. I find I'll go back and like re-rank the games that I've ranked on BG, you know, where you give like your one to 10, yeah. your scores. And rarely am I going back and increasing the score. Of a game that that I've mm. played before, it's usually I go back and I go, uh, yeah, it's not quite an eight. Let yeah. me bump that to a seven, or it's not quite a <laughs> six. Let me make that a five. That said, I haven't played Heat yet. Now I'm Jones, and that sounds awesome. Yeah, yeah. Now thinking about the cult of the new, the heavy game of the year. So we have runner up John Company, the second edition of that. No comment. Runner up, 
Endless Winter, Paleo Americans. Mm-hmm. And this one here that was on BGA for a long time here, we played a long time ago, and I'm fully for this one being heavy game of the year, Carnegie. Because mm. this thing has decisions out the wazoo. You look at this and you have someone try and explain to you quickly how you play this game. Unless you're a big gamer, 75% people would check out halfway through saying, now then, once you're done putting the workers in the building where you're going to want to do them in the marketing department and things like that, then you go off and start putting salesmen across the uh, United States. And we'll get to the part where you make contributions to charities later on, and then we'll cover this other part here. They're going to be checked out. But yes, sure. it works so well. I'm so glad you taught me how to play this game, and it's definitely worthy of heavy game of the year. And I could only teach you because teacher Ryan taught me. That was our first interaction with him. Yeah, he did, yes. Uh, I've played two of these and gave up on the rules for uh, the third one. Uh, (laughs) Carnegie, I think, is the best of of the three listed here, only because I haven't played John Company's second edition. I I gave up. I was like, you know, when realistically am I ever going to play this? Endless Winter Paleo Americans is interesting. I still haven't decided if I like it or not. So you've got like the deck building worker placement, like we've seen this before, but where Dune mm-hmm. does one side game and Arnak does the research track and and a different side game. Paleo Americans, uh, Endless Winter, it there's like three side games going on. They got this monolith board where you've got these, you know, your shapes that you're stacking, which it's not that hard to digest, but it's one you know, one area. Uh, then you've got your main board where you're putting your encampments and it's another area where there's like a game going on. Plus the main board where you've got the columns where you can select the acts that you're doing. It's busy. And to me, it didn't feel like it all wrapped together in a complete mm. package where everything made sense. Not that it wasn't good. It was still fun. Every one of those things was delightful. But like, right. we're in Dune. Nothing feels... Uh, Boy, it's going to sound bad if I say tacked on, right? But there were parts of Paleo-Americans that felt like, well, I think they just needed something here to, uh, to okay. have something. Like the, like the monolith, for example. It was like, well, why the hell are we doing this? And yet, I liked it. It was enjoyable. Well, good. Hey, it's worthy of the votes there. Let's move on to party game. I cannot believe that in runner-up, we find Blood on the Clock Tower. I thought that would win Game of the Year and Party Game of the Year and all sorts of things. We find it only on our list once, and it's right here in Party Game as a runner-up, along with Long Shot the Dice Game, the winner, Ready, Set, Bet. Yeah, I know that's one of your favorites there. You really enjoy being the caller for Ready, Set, Bet. Oh, yeah, and I like playing it, too. It's just... Man, it's an easy game to break out with a group. It's it's frantic, and yet it's not overwhelming. You're going to be getting some coins, but like everybody's going to finish with a, a good amount. It's like a day at the track. <laughs> well, my day at the track have never worked out well. <laughs> Scott, I know you're more of a fan of print and plays than I am, but I don't think either of us have dabbled into these ones for the best print no. and play. Runner-ups, we have A Wayfarer's Tale, which... That one was on Kickstarter, and I was really close to actually to backing it because the art looked mm-hmm. charming. Woodcraft, Roll and Write, and the winner, Aquamarine. Yeah, I don't really have much to say about these because I'm not familiar with those at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know we ta- I talked about that one, Voyages, before, which was a great print-and-play game. I- I'm interested in checking those out because a lot of times you can find 
real gems in the print and play category with things here. So I'll have to check those out. All, all three of them I'm, I'm interested in trying. Well, let's try some solo games. We got Runner Up, Resist, Nemo's War mm. Ultimate Edition, and the winner, Turing Machine. Yes. Now, Turing Machine lately has been popping up a lot, like in social media on my stuff and everything. I'm getting more and more interested in giving this thing a try and seeing what it's like. I, I've not played it. Resist is from the same people who... No, no, no. I'm sorry. Resist is uh, 25th Century Games. Mm-hmm. I'm very interested in giving that a try because I've heard nothing but great things. And hey... You don't mess with Nemo's War. Nemo's War is awesome. I think that's that newness thing. Like, oh, Nemo's War, that's been around forever. It's hard to vote for the ultimate edition of a game that's been around when there's something new like Resist and Turing Machine. You know what I mean? Nemo's War, I honestly, Nemo's War is the best of those games. Those three there. Yes. Yes, it is. All right. Sorry. I'm just a little bit angry. <laughs> uh, let me go into thematic games. Okay. Then. So. Thematic games, we have runner-up John Company, second edition, which we won't talk about. No. Runner-up Wonderland's War, which I say, yes, which that's got very, very thematic. Which game. got robbed. Absolutely robbed. That and game's incredibly thematic. Heat pedal to the metal. And uh yeah, I I've gotta agree with you on that there. I think Wonderland's War is much more thematic. Heat pedal to the metal it's a racing game. I mean, that's that's about it. I mean, it is unique in how you play it and everything. It is fun. But I think Wonderland's War thematically really drew me in a lot more than Heat did. You know what it tells me is that there's a lot more people that played Heat than Wonderland's War. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Because yeah, yeah. one, one was a, a, a pretty expensive <coughs> Kickstarter. The other one was a much more well-distributed game that I think more people have played. So if I'm going on to vote and I have to pick, okay, what's thematic? Well, I've never played Wonderland's War. It doesn't even cross my mm-hmm. mind to pick it. But Heat? Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love Heat. Yeah, yeah, definitely. This next one, this kind of goes more in my area here with War Games. Mm-hmm. So runner-up votes for women. This one wasn't even on my radar till just recently I started seeing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, runner-up resist and winner undaunted Stalingrad. And... Yeah, the more and more I see these Undaunted games, I'm more and more interested in getting into these things and checking them out. They really have been tearing up everything with uh, people talking about them. They've got all the different uh, ones you can play it. I'm really interested in Undaunted. So neither of us have played Undaunted. No. That needs to change. Yes, yes, yes. I think so. I think that would be great. Tonight. I'm down for it. Come over. Uh, okay okay let's finish recording first so do we have to do best podcast <laughs> uh winner this game is broken runner up beyond solitaire one stop co-op shop the other runner up we were nowhere to be found yeah those podcasts all suck no uh seriously i, I know just from what i do and talk about this you, Patrick, do all the editing and everything, so I know and appreciate what all you do and how much goes into this. So it really says something for whenever you choose the the best podcast, how much work goes into things and stuff like that. Yeah, all very good. Uh, and you know what? That nominee list had like 10 on there, and uh, I don't listen to all of them, but I have listened to several. You know what? They, they all put in the time. They put in the effort. Yeah, congratulations to This Game is Broken. I understand they're really funny. They have uh, 
You know, we're going to stop talking about why other podcasts, why, why you adventurers should be listening to other people. Let's move on to best board game app. And I'm so happy that this is a category because, man, app games, oh, I, I play them at least once a week, probably daily. Mm-hmm. I'm on an app, not like going onto, onto Google on my phone and playing on Board Game Arena. I mean, like opening an app and playing an yeah. app. And we've got runners up role player and hero realms. And the winner, no surprise here, Everdell. Yeah, well-deserved there for all three of those because they really do come out well in an app. It's great to see that. Hey, congrats to Everdell. Well, we heard that little tune there, and that means it's time to go home and stop recording. But in our regular manner, what we're going to do here is go over how we leveled up since the last time we recorded. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go on. This just blows my mind. I just got an email back. I got my press credentials for Gen Con, and I still can't believe that I became part of the press to talk about games. <laughs> this is the craziest thing. I cannot get my head wrapped around this, that we're doing something like this with a hobby that I love so much. It's mind-blowing that that comes with it. So it's, it's so very much appreciated, and it's just an absolute honor to be able to go there see things and be able to talk about them and with you and have everyone else listening in so that is awesome well, my level up this time is that we're going to be joining james on the board game binge podcast james is the producer of cities of venus which is crushing it on kickstarter go check it out we're going to be on his podcast i think we're going to record on the 17th now he told us his turnaround time is like they produce their podcast like within a half an hour. It's mostly live, virtually no editing. So we got to be on our best behavior. And man, I'm excited and get on there together and have some fun. Wow. Okay. I will have to mark that down on my calendar here. That sounds awesome. Wait, you didn't have it on your calendar? He told us I, when we were talking with him. I was just having a good time talking with him. I wasn't paying attention. Adventures, get on over to Board Game Geek Guild 3722. That's our guild. We want you to say what... What game do you, what legacy game do you want Scott yes. to, to start playing? Give us some inspiration here. Go back and listen to Marvel Age of Heroes last week. And next episode, we hope to have Andrew joining us. Uh, we were supposed to this week and it just didn't come together. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to that one there. And uh, the game we're going to talk about, it's going to be cool. Give us a last word for episode 95. All right. The last word is raise your glasses here, my friends. Here's to the great artistic genius, Pablo Picasso. His last words were, drink to me. Who am I to question genius? Cheers, my friends. Thank you, adventurers, for joining us for this episode of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. We encourage all adventurers to check out our website at levelupgamepodcast.com. That's where you can submit your thoughts and audio to be used in a future episode. Please consider rating us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and join the Board Game Geek Guild, Guild 3722. Music for the podcast provided by Adam Haynes and the Heatley Brothers. And remember, whether in hobby or in life, always do what you can to level up.